Hey folks, welcome to the Aspire Natural Health podcast. My name is Dr. Tim Gersmar. At Aspire Natural Health, we are experts at treating digestive issues, autoimmune disease, and other hard to treat cases. Our goal with this podcast is to bring you interesting and informative discussions and topics, whether that's with us or other experts and interesting people. Listen, we want to reach as many people as possible and help as many lives as we can. This podcast is and always will remain free of charge. So we'll bring you the expertise, but we do need your help. There are two simple things that you can do to help us in our efforts to reach as many people as possible. Whether this is your first podcast or one of many, if you found these podcasts helpful, please do two things. The first is share it with any friends or people you know who might find it valuable. Again, it's free. Please drop them a line and let them know about the podcast. The second thing, which is really important, is to please head on over to iTunes and give us preferably a five-star review. Whatever you think we're worth, we're striving here to produce a five-star podcast. And it would really help if you would take a minute to drop us a five-star review. That way, iTunes ranks us highly. Other people can see and hear about us, and we can succeed in spreading the message of how to be informed about your health and how to get some help. So please share this podcast with a friend, head on over to iTunes, and leave us a five-star review. All right? Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hey, folks. It's Dr. Gersmar. I am excited today to be with uh, a man I consider one of my mentors and who has pushed me personally farther in terms of thinking about cancer and ways uh, that we approach people as entire human beings and maybe anybody else I know and who also happens to be one of the smartest, most well-informed individuals I know. You know, it's funny. I'll introduce him in just a moment, but Donnie is actually not a doctor, but uh, when I was doing some training with him, it was funny to see because of his breadth of knowledge and his scope that a lot of people assumed he was and were you know, responding to correspondences from him uh, with Dr. Yance, uh, just assuming that anyone that bright must have gone through a, a doctorate level program, uh, but in fact, uh, he hasn't, and I'll let him share his story, but how I ran into Donnie was this. Um, when I was graduating school, the American Herbalist Guild were holding uh, their annual convention nearby. So I and a couple of friends decided that we would attend it, went to some lectures, and some of them were great, and some of them were, frankly, not, not very good. But one that really stood out in my mind was Donnie Yance's talk about using herbal medicine and cancer care and talking a little bit about uh, this integrative and holistic system that he's put together. And I filed it in the back of my head that someday I'm going to have to go get training in this because it sounds just way too good to pass up. Unfortunately, uh, not too long after that, my mom was diagnosed with cancer herself, and it suddenly became, I've got to go to this class, I've got to see what's available, and um, I've got to see if there's anything I can do that might be able to help my mom. And so I went and took training with Donnie, and again, it has influenced the way I've practiced ever since. So I'm excited to have Donnie on today to talk with us. Thanks for joining us, Donnie. You're so welcome, Tim, and thank you very much for having me on. Of course. So how did you, what, what led you? I know you have, uh, I remember some of your story that you shared with us, and it's, it's quite an interesting one, but what led you down this path of, of approaching uh, cancer, you know, a subject that many practitioners run away from because it's hard and, and can, it's scary at times and, you know, is tough to deal with? How did you come to the place that you are now? 
Well, it started for personal reasons. I think I've always been on a quest to develop um, deep and intimate relationships with people. And I found through early on working with a cancer patient named Sinclair, who mm -hmm. our clinic nicknamed uh, St. Clair, and that was coming up on about 30 years ago now. Mm -hmm. um, I just kind of fell in love with the depth of our relationship and mm -hmm. how, uh, where that took me to. And mm -hmm. then for her to the day before she passed, Mm -hmm. to have finished a ring that I've never taken off my finger since since it was given to me, mm -hmm. to know that, that her relationship with me meant that much to her, um, that kind of said, you know, that I think this is my calling. I've always been looking for ways to um, get the most out of life and give the most to life. Mm -hmm. And because um, it's really for me, theology, as much as it is practicality and mm -hmm. the reality of it, for me, it's kind of it's kind of wrapped around my faith and my my belief systems. And mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. um, and, and from there, I wanted to, you know, I, I dive into things, you know, with with the utmost uh, fortitude and strength and 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 basically never ever give up and so since that day i could almost say that every day of my life has devoted to finding more and more ways and every kind of way to mm -hmm. better people's lives particularly people um with cancer mm -hmm. and not a day goes by without me not spending time um, studying, um, compiling information, mm -hmm. reflecting, observing, working with people, um, studying. And so this is now coming up on 30 years for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, let me ask you, so when it comes to cancer, obviously we, we tend to see a giant polarization. And the, the, the fact that you haven't done that is one of the things that attracted me so much to your work in the first place is we see people saying that either, uh, you, you know, anything alternative, let's just use that that phrase or, or, or natural or whatever you'd like to call it, um, can be involved in cancer, but of course it must very much be subordinate to conventional care or after, it can happen after conventional care comes in, but it certainly can't, um, you know, be up there uh, with with you know the chemotherapies and the radiations and the the things that the the conventional system is doing or you'll see people on the other side you know i see this in my facebook feed all the time you know doctor says chemotherapy kills people cancer doesn't kill people and you know that that everything about the conventional system is horrible and wrong and and that there's there's nothing valuable there how did you come to a place where where you integrated both of those aspects, the, the conventional system, as well as, again, whatever people want to call it, natural alternative uh, therapies as well. Yeah, I, I, I would say that it's uh, wisdom. Um, I mean, let's put it this way. Einstein said that intuition is the gift and the rational intellect is the servant of that gift. And I think we're now in a world now where, where, and he even stated this right afterwards, where we have forgotten the gift and we think that everything can be worked out just in, as a mind exercise. And, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that, um, so I, I was able to, uh, I, I guess, um, apply, uh, 
what what, what appears to be so complex to so many people because there's just there's just so much going on mm-hmm. and you can utilize so many different lenses lenses that are that may be very subjective things that are about working with people that that are subtle but still very valid and important mm-hmm. to the vast array of ways that we analyze the microenvironment to the in-depth ways that we look now at tumor um, pathology and mm-hmm. understanding the phenotype of that tumor and then mm-hmm. juggling how those three things fit together and then looking at our toolboxes and so as you stated, you know, why is it sometimes people do chemotherapy and there is a there's always a price to be paid because it's destructive. Mm-hmm. But why do some people do it and get a very good response? And it obviously has improved their life while some other people use chemotherapy and probably it's no different from if they didn't do chemotherapy and there's a whole group of people that go on chemotherapy and it hurts them to the degree that they suffered more than they needed to and very likely it could have shortened their lifespan right and so so just looking at chemotherapy alone and then but even from there you got to step back and say chemotherapy isn't a single drug chemotherapy is a family of drugs Uh and um And so what I've learned to do is understand those class of drugs, understand the class of drugs referred to as MABs, understand the class of drug refers to as um, tyrosine kinase inhibitors, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. small molecules, now the class of immunotherapy agents, particularly checkpoint inhibitors, and on and on and on, and other drugs that are are reprogrammed now for cancer care that might otherwise not be, whether they be anti-inflammatory compounds, whether they be, you know, uh, antagonists to copper. I mean, there's a whole other way of bringing drugs in. Mm -hmm. And, And dosage is very important. Many people go on drug therapies, and if it was appropriately dosed for them and customized or even lower dosed, used in concert with other things, outcome would be much, much better. So you don't just have, are we getting the right drugs to these patients? Do they even need drugs? And so the Germans have adopted a way of thinking, and this has nothing to do with I apply, but they have the go, go, slow, go, no go. Hmm. And so they look at a patient now, Uh it's particularly uh, applicable to hematological cancers like CLL, where if if you see that, if you get the patient, you review the pathology, and then within the pathology, you can understand are we dealing with a very proliferative, very aggressive cancer that might respond mm-hmm. better to more aggressive therapies? Are we dealing with an intermediate cancer that we better think about things really uh, in depth? Or are we dealing with a cancer that's relatively more benign in behavior? And why would we go and hit this this cancer with very strong drugs? Obviously, you're so they have the the, the no the um, go go, which means hit it with our big guns. They mm-hmm. have the slow go, which means no, we're not going to use the big guns, we're, but we're going to use a little bit of medicine. Right. And then they have the no go. This patient's actually better off not being treated at this time with any medicine. Mm. And so, uh, and all of that is um, is something that I've learned to to be able to um, to analyze 
and figure out. And that's both accessing my brain and all of the study that I've done. I write papers on on molecular profiling, biomarkers that are predictive of resistance, mm -hmm. biomarkers predictive of sensitivity, mm -hmm. biomarkers predictive of increased toxicity. We actually have enough now that we we you know we'll know a lot of this stuff ahead of time. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, being able to, you know, take all this information and develop a plan, a treatment plan, you know, with clarity, mm -hmm. which again, like I said, is a combination of knowledge, you know, acquiring knowledge is, is all based very much in science and contemporary medicine mm -hmm. and applying wisdom, which is very different than knowledge. And wisdom is based more in, in experience for mm -hmm. one, mm -hmm. you know, being a clinician for 30 years plus now mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and studying traditional medicine, which gives us wisdom and insight mm -hmm. to applying things like common sense and logic to then bringing <laughs> in what I call, which there isn't a lot of that practice. Right, right, right. Uh -huh. <laughs> and That's then bringing it. in mm -hmm. um, what, what I refer to as musical int intuition. And then finally, um, being a person of prayer and love and mm -hmm. trying to um, withstand the, the, you know, the, the, auspices of what I call fear, you mm -hmm. know, because patients are fearful, they often make choices in, in fear. Yes. And you have now um, physicians practicing in a very tightly woven system, where if you're not in the standard of care path, that 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 very narrow path now, mm -hmm. and you deviate from that, you're now liable, you're right, you know, you're, you're personally invested, right? And very few people are willing to personally invest and go go out of that road right. where they know if they stay on the road, they never have to worry about anything. So right. they're actually operating a little bit from fear yeah. of deviation from that. So right. when you know that love is what heals, then you're you know, you're starting at a, at a really difficult place right. You know, right there. Right. And again, and it's. So it's a lot about relationship. I know there were some studies yeah. done as well that even just showed the easiest way to reduce malpractice, which again is, you know, a patient suing a doctor for a bad outcome or a bad situation. But the, the easiest way to reduce that was to simply spend some more time with the person and build a relationship uh, yeah. so that both parties could see each other as human beings instead of you know, you're like my mechanic and I bring my car into you and I drop the car off. I go somewhere else. I come back and pick up my car. And if something doesn't work, you know, you've got to fix the problem for me kind of thing. So exactly. So I think oncologists are in a tough place because, again, it's easy to bash on uh, on the conventional system and they have a lot of flaws and, and issues. But oncologists find themselves in a tight place, like you said, if they deviate from sort of the standards that are put out there, uh, you know, they can, first of all, they can lose their job, just just mm -hmm. that alone. But then again, they can be personally held liable and sued. And, um, you know, and again, it's even... And then their peers in the institution. You right. know, I talk to, you know, oncologists every single day. And right. often they have to call on their own private line because in the institution, oh, everything's being recorded. Emails are being, you know, overseen. And so even if they have no beef with their patients and their patients are getting better, mm -hmm. their colleagues will start to question what they're doing. And hmm. that also is, you know, puts them in a difficult position. So, um, that, you know, that's, that, that's the, the, you know, the truth of the matter. Sure. And so it, um, becomes difficult, but part of what I do mm -hmm. is, is 
be sure that when somebody is being put on any kind of drug regime, mm -hmm. that it's really the best that they can they can be doing. And so we look at ways because, you know, to be honest, mm -hmm. if you do everything well, everything right, as far as everything that I can offer in the field of botanical, nutritional medicine, dietary medicine, lifestyle medicine, mm -hmm. and a patient goes on drugs that are not helping and actually hurting them, right. they're still not going to have consistent, great outcome. Right. And what we mean by outcome is that, that adding you know, years to people's lives and lives to their years, and so right. that people are actually living longer and better in a, in a consistent, significant way. Mm -hmm. Like, Consistent means like everyone's getting better, not just a person occasionally. Right. So the way that you assure that and the way that I assure that is to understand that toolbox well and be sure that people are, are doing something that I believe is going to be helping them, mm -hmm. you know, substantially. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we, 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 you know, we figure that out. We figure that out through a lot of different testing. Sure. And then once once I'm pretty um sure what I what of what I think is best, then the next step comes now having a conversation with the oncologist and and seeing if there's room for um you know for them to be open to maybe either some shifting in drug therapies or dosaging of drug therapies or mm -hmm. less or mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. Often in a advanced stage, there is a lot more flexibility. So when somebody is no longer um, looking to be cured of their cancer and now just manage it the best they can, right. now you're in palliative care. Right. And in palliative care, there is a bit more flexibility. Yeah, I've been told that it, it's really critical for, for patients and doctors to both understand sort of where in that in that spectrum that the patient is if you know for example uh there was a young lady and she had a, a one of the blood board cancers and they were saying the the treatment regimen was you know 96 percent uh you, you know effective as far as treating it and so it's like great you know this is uh potentially there's really strong curative um uh, medicine in play here and then for other people you know my mom was one of them she was stage four when she was diagnosed and very advanced and um you know one of the things that i tried to get across too at first when she saw the oncologist it was very much oh great he's going to cure me it's all going to be fine and it was kind of a gentle discussion about how that there's extremely unlikely there's cure in this case but uh, to your point earlier we always say too it's about quality of life uh, first and length of life second so we want yeah. we want you know good quality of life and as much as we can get and certainly it's important i think for patients to understand as well like what's the intent behind this and then so they they can be informed and make their decision appropriately as well i, I think we've all heard you know horror stories of regimens being prescribed that are you know insanely expensive highly degrading the quality of life and at the end of the day statistically you know give the person a couple extra weeks uh, of life and so but patients you know and maybe even doctors don't, yeah. don't fully understand that's and, and here's yeah. here's what typically happens mm -hmm. a lot too in, mm -hmm. in cancer is mm -hmm. that people will go on a drug um whether it be chemotherapy or even a targeted therapy of some sort, get a mm -hmm. get a phenomenal response, mm -hmm. basically complete eradication of their cancer. Everything's gone. Mm -hmm. Only to find out in three to six months 
that the drug therapy stops working right. and the cancer has come back with, you know, what's referred to as, you know, heterogeneity, alterations in the cancer, subclones, mm -hmm. often mm -hmm. two, three, four different kinds of cancer, mm -hmm. and that cancer no longer responds to much of anything. And so what looked to be curative, mm -hmm. not only did not cure, mm -hmm. but a patient possibly with the same cancer at the same stage that did nothing, right. never eradicated their cancer, but it progressed so slowly mm -hmm. that they actually outlive the person that got the phenomenal curative, you know, quote, curative response, right. but really didn't. And when you go on, one of the big problems in oncology is that once you're on a targeted drug, mm -hmm. once you're on a drug that's targeting a pathway that appeared to work very well mm -hmm. and now stops working, the field of oncology frequently changes course. In other words, you know, radically changes course, right. goes down a completely different road. They said, all right, this isn't working anymore. Stop this mm -hmm. and let's do this. Mm -hmm. And so now not only are you dealing with subclone cancer cells that have adapted themselves to, you know, to no longer be inhibited by the pathway the drug is inhibiting. But when you stop the drug that was inhibiting that, all those other cells that were inhibited basically flood out. Oh. And so you mm -hmm. yourself, in, you know, and, and people don't realize that that right. happens so often. So you hmm. can't frequently, mm -hmm. you can't very easily get off drugs like monoclonal antibodies. And um, now that being said, if someone is, is in a, a particular cancer mm -hmm. and they actually get several years of complete remission mm -hmm. and they didn't, they didn't have reoccurrence on that drug, the opposite is true. Frequently, they can actually stop the drug, mm -hmm. not a chemo drug, but a targeted drug, yeah. and possibly not have their cancer return. Interesting. So like the two mm -hmm. drugs that that's finding to be true, one is Gleevec and CML, mm -hmm. and the other is Ibrutinib, and CLL. So if someone's been on it three, four, five years, and they they actually have had no sign, no sign of, of uh, even in bone marrow aspirations, no sign of any cancer cells, right. that they go off of it. And the reason why is that most likely there was such suppression with that drug that eventually the stem cells, the, the, the cancer stem cells basically had nowhere to go. So they base, I call it, they, they surrender. Right. Right. So they surrender and then and then therefore you're you are you are probably cured. And so mm -hmm. there are a percentage of people that get that. But if you get reoccurrence on these drugs, mm -hmm. it's the opposite. You know, you're really you know, you really can't just go to another drug. you got to actually add a drug in. Makes sense. What you yeah. Well, the analogy I used, Donnie, and I don't remember if you gave this to me, but this is what I kind of came away thinking about is cancer cells almost being like bacteria. So there's that that study or that 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 came out a, a few months ago where they put these bacteria on these plates and zones of different antibiotics in them and they could see you could watch them basically go across where most of them died but the few that were able to adapt to the antibiotics moved on and then when they hit the new and different antibiotics then again most of them died but a few of them moved on and that analogy to me, um, helps explain chemotherapy. So again, the chemo kills off the most vulnerable or, or any of these drugs, rather, you know, they kill off or stop the most vulnerable um, cancer cells to those drugs. 
while just like those bacteria, the cancer cells mutate, change, work around the the inhibition um, that those drugs are causing. And then sort of ultimately we end up, uh, and again, this is something I always say, we end up making the cancer smarter if we, just Mm -hmm. like the antibiotics, if we, if we, we're finding now that so many, you know, bacteria are resistant to antibiotics and that things aren't working anymore. Well, we've selected and made the ones uh, that are around smarter. And, and the same thing can happen to someone um, in cancer as well, which, you know, to your point earlier, I like it's about classifying um, where someone is and, and about the cancer. And something that you brought up, you know, years ago, which I'm only starting to see kind of poke up. We've got the uh, Cancer Treatment Centers of America here in Seattle, and we see some patients that come from them is actually um, treating, you know, each individual cancer individually. So just because two women have breast cancer doesn't mean they're exactly the same and need to be treated exactly the same. And I know completely preaching to the choir because you're the one that taught me this. But, you know, for a lot of people, if you have breast cancer, you get the exact same treatment as the person sitting next to you that has breast cancer. But Mm -hmm. instead, just like we would do with bacteria, ideally, where you culture those bacteria, then you expose Mm -hmm. them to different antibiotics and you find out which antibiotics are effective and which ones are not effective. And then you wouldn't go and treat people with the antibiotics that don't work again because they do have side effects and can cause problems as well. And so it's all about targeting the most effective therapy as possible. Um, made uh, like 110% complete sense to me when I heard it from you and just stunned that 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 had not been the case. And I think you can speak more clearly to this, but I think we're starting to see that shift occurring where people are looking at the genetics of different cancers. And again, just because two cancers are in the breast or anywhere else in the body does not mean that they are the same cancers. And I remember you sharing a story with us about how a drug for Oh, I may get this wrong, Donnie, but it was either one way. It was either someone had pancreatic cancer and a drug for breast cancer was, was shown to be effective, or maybe it was the opposite direction. But I remember you talking specifically sure. about a case where they needed a drug that was com- like not at all used for that specific type of cancer that that person had, but that's what they needed. And then the whole yeah. trick of getting the oncologist to actually yeah. prescribe well, the right drug. Yeah. Well, uh, often not always the case, but many drugs are improved for a cancer type and Mm -hmm. cancers like breast cancer are very popular and they, you know, they're very attractive to big institutions because Mm -hmm. a lot of women have breast cancer and it's, it's, it's a very popular, uh, cancer to brag about as far as big institutions go. So, um, often drugs that are targeting, um, biomarkers, even in breast cancer, particularly mm-hmm. like HER2 new cancers, mm-hmm. now women, and you know, 15 years ago, or more, 17, 18 years ago, I was already on top of HER2 uh, her, her new testing, mm-hmm. Hercept, using Herceptin upfront, and back then you couldn't even get it mm-hmm. until you failed chemotherapy, and it was mm-hmm. added in as a third line, then second line, then, for, then it was brought into first line. Mm-hmm. But but it's her too new isn't exclusive to breast cancer. It's just mm-hmm. so the research studied it in breast cancer and the drug got approved for that. Mm-hmm. And now not only, you know, now we have several other drugs with that, whether it be, be um, uh, TDM1, whether it be pertuzumab, whether it be lapaptinib. So there's a you know whole different drugs that do different things than Herceptin. Right. 
And so we're, you know, and one of the best ways to, to test somebody, because even pathology, you know, genotyping and testing, mm -hmm. there's a lot of women that are what's called three plus on testing or anyone with a HER2 new cancer, mm -hmm. and they will get the drug. But mm -hmm. there's also a whole group of people that are two plus, and they will not get the drug according to the pathology testing. Mm -hmm. It's equivocal. But within the tumor cell, you have some cells that are more HER2 new sensitive than others. Hmm. And the most clinically relevant test is the serum HER2 new. Hmm. Probably have saved uh, half a dozen people's lives by looking at serum HER2 new as the best biomarker for targeted therapy, not, hmm. not the pathology. And so much so that one woman mm -hmm. just recently wrote a book called A 5X Cancer Survivor. Citrice Buchanan is her name. Hmm. And she, she was basically on her deathbed and already on morphine dripped for her cancer pain. pain yeah, mm -hmm. I checked. I saw her original pathology, her two new equivocal. Mm -hmm. I tested her blood. The, the, the range of serum her two new is supposed to be 12.8 or lower. She was over 16,000. Wow. I convinced, I convinced her doctor to give her her septin mm -hmm. and, and then a metronomic dosage of Abraxane because she had had taxines in the past and did respond to them. Mm -hmm. And that's like four, four and a half years ago now. And she is still you know free of cancer. And wow. so um, it wasn't enough to give her herbs and nutrition. Right. I actually had a, I had to go in deeper and figure something out. And that was and and that's happened with several people um, mm -hmm. uh, with cancer. Mm -hmm. And one thing about, you know, genotesting testing is, you know, is very common gene sequencing. It's not actually very reliable. You know, mm. you have protein expression, which is much better mm -hmm. because the gene testing will give you mutations but mutations don't tell you still what's driving the cancer. Hmm. They may, but they also may not. So often people see gene sequencing profiles and see, oh, you have this mutation, so we need this drug, mm -hmm. and it doesn't work because mm -hmm. that really wasn't a driver. So looking at, at, at all, all this, so you have to, that information is useful, mm -hmm. but it still has to be combined with everything else that's being looked at. And um, right. so mutation, mutation analysis are not at this point something that you should use alone to you know to drive um, treatment plans. And now the people are starting to do that, but they, it shouldn't be. Right. Genotype, genotype does not equate to phenotype. And so, um, so that's why we do a lot of bio biomarkers, both mm -hmm. in the pathology, but also mm -hmm. in blood test. And, you know, what, what we do under, you know, Madiri medicine. Mm -hmm. And then that's not just telling us about drugs, too. To some degree, when we look at our toolbox, we look at herbs and herbal compounds and, mm -hmm. and concentrated herbal herbs. And we are able to also sometimes take herbs and herb compounds that are actually shown to be inhibitory to some of these pathways or mm -hmm. say someone has responded really well to um, irea tecan in colon cancer we can actually use the camptotheca extract which has all of those those compounds in it and uh -huh. we can do that with the pacific U. we can do it with with um pedophilin you know mayapple plant and so mm -hmm. there are ways to actually match plants up to expression in the pathology like topo one inhibition or topo two then mm -hmm. there's ways that you use the plants to alter the microenvironment 
but mostly we use our plant medicines to alter the state of the host. So the patient, so you have the person, mm -hmm. we're always maximizing their health with macro medicine and micro medicine. So macro medicine is, is where we go back to, 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 to uh, traditional medicine mm -hmm. in this underpinning theme of build the life force. Mm -hmm. And you had talked about adaptogens in the beginning. And so right. adaptogens, nervines, build the life force. That's always the foundation. It's not pretty, it's not cute, but it's really it really significantly helps in the long run. Mm -hmm. But it's nonspecific, mm -hmm. you know, part of being being that. Um, but that's beautiful too, because everything in our body is in flux. So to have medicine that actually understands that everything is moving within our body mm -hmm. and every level, you know, our endocrine system, our, our nervous system, our, our organ systems, our cells, you know, nutrients inside the cell, that's outside the cell. So to actually use medicine that is nonspecific, that sole purpose is to support the self-healing ability of the body, mm -hmm. to support that ability of our bodies to self-regulate mm -hmm. you know, auto-regulation. How do we improve? How do we improve those set points that bring us back into optimal health and balance? So that's part of the underpinning of the foundation of what we do to the host. Mm -hmm. And then we look at the presentation of that patient mm -hmm. and look at sp some specific things. So some micro things we want to do, but it's not its first macro big picture, mm -hmm. scopes, mm -hmm. you know, and then some micro with with that with that person. Mm -hmm. The second part we go into, and I and now you know we I talk about adaptogens, but you know I am giving as much nervines to patients as as adaptogens, and hmm. um, huh. it's turning out that the the nervous system mm -hmm. uh, is a big driver of uh, cancer growth, and so particularly the beta adrenergic receptor, which is when you're in sympathetic mode. Yep people are most of the time yeah yeah <laughs> that that actually drives the growth of cancer maybe huh. more than anything so huh. underneath everything you know what is you know what is the what's at the crust of it and they discovered that accidentally they found that patients who have had very aggressive cancers that happen to be put on beta blockers that block the old beta blockers like Indorol that block that beta 2 receptor mm -hmm. all of a sudden had cancer regress huh. or didn't have cancer recur. Huh. So now we're realizing that the nervous system causes, like even her two new, one of the drivers to resistant to Herceptin is the upregulation of the beta 2 antinergic receptor. So, huh. uh, so not only do we want to use adaptogens, but we want to use nervines and maybe even specifics that downregulate that receptor, like. Ralufia serpentina is an herb that specifically lowers that sympathetic tone. Right. And so, but that is more of an herb that demands uh, an action. But if we, the way I think is that, all right, I'll use a little bit of that herb, but really what I want you to do mm -hmm. is I want you to work on your nervous system, but I'm going to give you nervines that help it come a little bit better into balance mm -hmm. and then also make the, maybe make it less detrimental to your health when you're a little bit out of balance. And that's a, pre, a you know, that's kind of a d description of adaptogens, you know, building our, our adaptive sure. capacity. Mm-hmm. 
Another interesting thing, and this is all kind of brand new stuff, you know, on, on the forefront of cancer. Yeah. That people with with um, poor heart rate uh, variability mm. fare far worse mm. with cancer as mm -hmm. with heart disease. Right. So heart rate variability is a measurement of our adaptability. So to have more variability in your heart rate is good for you. Mm -hmm. And it shows that your body is more capable of adaptation. And it's also a sign of stronger parasympathetic uh, tone. Right. And so um, all the things that we do that encourage vagus nerve can be really, really useful for people. Yeah. And so, again, you have patients with cancer that are getting very stressed out and fearful and you know, facing life and death, you have a system that that's more fear based, then you're going on, you're, you might be having surgery, you might be doing chemotherapy, all things that are destructive that put more that alarm state, you know, when you go into surgery, your body is like every, you, you know, your nervous system is, is in an alarm phase, you know, it's just so it's so stressful. Matter of fact, they showed pre surgically, if you take beta blockers, and anti inflammatories and use nerve block, and stay away from general anesthesia uh -huh. that you're much better off. Cancer cancer won't spread as much under that surgical uh, procedure as it would if you're not using a nerve block. Um, huh. And again, that blocking that nerve tone is actually really good. And so we're building that platform with nerve lines, adaptogens, organ system, and then tonics. Mm -hmm. Those are our big class of herbs, tonics, adaptogens and nervines and then we get even to build the host into more specific things whether we want to use alternatives or cytotoxic herbs or herbs that modulate certain inflammatory pathways mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. herbs that build the spirit of that person herbs that are protective herbs that are enhancing mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. then we go into that microenvironment which is where we we test that environment mostly to see if it's optimal for the host mm -hmm. or if it's conducive to cancer because cancer has to manipulate the microenvironment to do any harm hmm. it cannot cannot it cannot become problematic unless it hijacks the microenvironment okay and yep then in a more advanced state of cancer not only is is the microenvironment now possibly conducive to cancer growth, but at some point, mm -hmm. as the cancer is growing, becoming more intelligent, it basically hijacks and takes completely control of that microenvironment. Right. One of the best ways of measuring uh, a cancer patient's health is in their CBC. Okay. People would say, well, CBC tell us, well, you know, lymphocyte to neutrophil ratio is mm -hmm. very, very big in cancer patients. So mm -hmm. if they have a, 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 a neutrophils are going up, that most likely the neutrophils, particularly the N2 neutrophils, mm -hmm. are being acquired by the cancer. Hmm. The neutrophils can drive the growth of the cancer. Hmm. Macrophages can drive the growth of the cancer. Right. Other other ones. Uh, um, uh, tumor, you know, tumor associated uh, uh, macrophages, they're called actually TAMs. Okay. And, uh, mm -hmm. and all of the pro inflammatory cytokines, chemokines, cytokines, all of those factors can, it can, it, it doesn't have to be that we're in an inflammatory state. At some point, the cancer is inducing it. So right. Say, who, who, who is in control of this microenvironment? 
but we fight with the cancer in a way to mm-hmm. re- retake control of the microenvironment. Mm-hmm. You take control. And so we're looking at and in, in taking it from an inflammatory perspective, looking at that. We're looking at the hijack of certain immune cells and, and altering the immune, the immune, the state of the immune system. Mm-hmm. Then we're looking at it from a pH perspective, because cancer is going to keep acidifying that microenvironment. Mm-hmm. Then looking at it from the ability to acquire uh, certain nutrients like copper and deplete zinc. Right. So do that. We're looking at it from a standpoint of angiogenic factors and cell adhesion molecules and checking that part of the microenvironment yeah. um, as well. And then big time, we're looking at the uh, effects of the rheology of the of the state which means the uh, fibrinogen, the D-dimer, plasminogen activator inhibitor, because cancer wants to stagnate everything, stagnate oxygen, stagnate Mm -hmm. blood, stagnate the lymph, stagnate Mm -hmm. uh, energy in the body. Right, right. So, And we're able to actually, if we're targeting, if we're building the host, targeting the microenvironment, and targeting the cancer, with some 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 general things, but also some specific things. Right. Typically, we're going to see consistently great great results. Consistently. Right. Even in the most dire of uh, circumstances. Well, it makes. I mean, it just makes sense, right? To say, like, I mean, just generally, the stronger the individual is. Uh, the better they're going to do, then, you know, again, if we we like our analogies, or at least I do, sort of your gardening analogy, the better, you know, you can Mm -hmm. make the soil and the environment around it, you know, the healthier, Mm -hmm. again, everything is going to be. And then specifically, if you've got pests or weeds or something else, you may need to specifically target those you know, those 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 problematic uh, pieces to get rid of them in specifics. But again, you know, what most people are doing is looking at the weeds and targeting, you know, spraying them specifically with pesticides while not looking at the, the quality of the, the soil, the environment, the garden, the, the whole ecosystem of what it is. And so then at best, you know, you wipe out those weeds um, and you have to be on guard for more weeds springing up in a, in a toxic environment where if you make the, the whole garden itself a healthier uh, environment then you know not only first of all the, the the garden itself may take care of the weeds and deal with it itself and if not you know then you can help it along but um uh, i mean it just makes so much sense to me uh my it's just so sad to see that so many of those aspects are are ignored by the conventional system and again like we said some people do great um because they have a better their ecosystem in general is in better shape their body is stronger their vitality is better um and then some people you know do just horribly um yeah so so as people can hear um, you know, it's a lot more complicated than saying, uh, you know, add a little, uh, so some of my favorite little things that went around Facebook a few years ago. If you just take some pureed asparagus, you know, you will kill cancer and then, then or, or there's some magic herb or magic uh, superfood or magic, you know, something or other that if you just take this, you'll kill cancer. And as uh, people can hear, uh, truly, it is a more, much more comprehensive and thorough look at the situation. For sure, it is. It is, and I think people uh, want a uh, struggle with complexity yep. and shy away from it, and want things to be simple. They want things to be reduced. They want easy answers to yep. complex problems. And yep. um, 
And again, this is this is a this is a pilgrimage of sorts. You know, when, mm -hmm. when you're dealing with somebody with stage four cancer, and now mm -hmm. you're dealing with them 15 and 20 years, and they were supposed to maybe be alive three, six, nine months, because right. I have a lot of patients like that. Yeah. You know, everything about what I'm doing for them is evolving and changing as well. And so it is, and in many cases, they're living very, very high quality lives. Um, perhaps in some cases better than they would have if they never even had cancer. Yeah. Um, that's certainly the case of many, many of my patients, but mm -hmm. it's not without involvement. You know, the first thing you start out with relationship. And so right. mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's, it, and it's the relationship and is looking at people with a lot of different lenses and, um, some are telescopes and some are humanistic and some are nothing is ever at the expense of, of conversation and interaction with patients. Everything that I, all the other stuff I do, I try to do not in the presence of the patient and present it. And then I'm so data driven and I compile so much and I write papers and all this, mm -hmm. I'm able to provide always the evidence for anything that I say. Right. And it's, 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 it's unarguably, you know, it's unarguable when I state something, when you see the evidence, how clear it is. Otherwise I don't say it or other, otherwise I give an opinion. But when I say right. something to be the truth, Trust me, I've got I've got enough literature, right. you know, to that I've analyzed to know that to be the truth. Right. And, so, and that also gives confidence as well. So, like I said, I spend one, two, three hours a day comp studying, compiling literature, mm -hmm. um, putting it into different areas mm -hmm. of my computer mm -hmm. uh, and folders mm -hmm. and then often begin to write papers, like I mentioned the neutrophil lymphocyte, and people might say, well, I didn't know that, and I've got like a 50-page paper just on that one thing, wow. how important that is, yeah. and how relative it is, and the first thing when you see a patient getting on a treatment plan, the first thing you want to do is see their lymphocytes increase and the neutrophils go down, and you're always looking for that ratio to be about two to one to three to one neutrophils to lymphocytes, mm -hmm. unless they're fighting an infection of some sort that mm -hmm. would skew the results. But if mm -hmm. there's no infection, then you can pretty much go on that premise. If they're, if they're seven to one, eight to one, you know, they're usually not in a good state of health right. at that point. Right. Well, I think that's part of what makes you such an exceptional individual and clinician, Donnie, is that you seem to manage um, the very hard task of sort of fusing my, you know, brain, mind um, and heart together. And so you're very, like you said, data driven and very scientific. And yet at the same time, you're also quite a spiritual man and you're quite, you know, you, you're quite uh, about connection um, and the importance of, you know, heart driven medicine as well. And so certainly... You know, it's a hard task for people, no doubt. But but well, the heart the heart always accesses the mind. Mm -hmm. If you do it the other way around, you're gonna have issues. The yeah. heart has to be the driver, has to be in command, and and that's you know, and that's not you know, I've caught myself. I mean, I'm not. Uh, I've caught myself with the opposite happening. Oh and, sure. And daily, it's a daily exercise for me. You know, I'm. And, and I also need to, as much as I spend time studying drug therapies and pathways and all of that, mm -hmm. I pick up old herb books every day and read them, like really, really classic books on herbs and, and right. still want to learn from the old masters in the way that they taught and spoke about the plants, not just know that these plant compounds uh, are able to downregulate mTOR and cancer cells and 
affect uh, all of the uh, alterations, whether there be uh, altering P10, P53, and that kind of way of looking at the plant is just such a, I know it's such a disservice to the way that really honors the plant, but unfortunately, we people are interested in what I call glamorous medicine. Mm -hmm. What is actually going to shrink the tumor, mm -hmm. not the humble medicine. You know, and I like to blanket people with a lot of humble medicine that maybe we don't exactly know exactly all of the ways that it's helping. I know it's helping you, right. but it's not as predictable, mm. you know, and so the aspects of medicine that I call the unknowing, which is often has a mystical component to it. Mm -hmm. And then the knowing aspect, which is very finite and defined, that unfortunately, our world and our, our way of medicine has got to the point that that the knowing medicine thinks that the unknowing medicine may be voodoo. Yes. And, and stuff, mm -hmm. When often, what makes Madiri medicine great is the ability to marry the two of those together mm. so that you actually understand that to some extent what we're doing. I can't tell you all the answers why everything might be working for you. Right. Years, years and years. I can explain this, this and this is doing this, but I can also say that we're doing this, this and this. And then I know you're getting help but I can't tell you exactly what's happening. So, so the right. ability to know the unknowing aspect of medicine with the knowing aspect, and it's it's a it's a Western Eastern thing. I think mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. in the East, the mind embraces the unknowing very well, both in medicine and even in theology and in, in religion. The ability to embrace the fact that really, you know, what is God and what I call God in the cosmic sense, mm -hmm. that's all it's in faith. You either have a faith that tells you this or you don't, but it's mm -hmm. not reality. You know, mm -hmm. there's the, the reality of God is seen in nature and seen in the way that, that in relationships that people do great acts of loving kindness. Mm -hmm. That's the reality of it. Mm -hmm. But the, the understanding of that I'm Franciscan and, and Eastern Christian, that's mm -hmm. just faith it's just it's just what works for me it's yeah. not it's not necessarily reality mm. in that we don't know it mm. Mm. and in and in the west um and in the east they're very good at embracing that both in religion and also in medicine you yeah. know the poetic ability of understanding how plants work through the uh traditional chinese medicine approach mm -hmm. it's just mm -hmm. it's just poetry it's just beautiful it's motion it's a uh, it's not stagnant. It's not, um, you know, it's like a Monet painting, you know, it's just filled with colors the mm -hmm. way things are. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the way I like to do things with my canvas for patients is there's a lot of colors that go in. And even in thinking about adaptogens, nobody gets an adaptogen plan, a plan, nobody gets a nervine, a specific one. If I think there's something specific of a plant for that patient, mm -hmm. they'll get more of it in the blending of the herbs that I give them. We'll get more of, a, of some things that I think may be more specific for them, but they're still going to get a, a gourmet meal of herbal medicine. Right, <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I think just so much of what you said, I mean, I, I've heard it put that the, you know, the Western 
tradition or mind or however you want to call it is atomistic. That means, you know, breaking, uh, trying to isolate and break things down as far as it can go. And of course, we know that that's yielded a lot of tremendous information about a lot of things, right, and allowed us to do some of the wonderful things that modern uh, civilization does, while the Eastern uh, mindset is more more holistic in nature and looking at, you know, larger patterns and integrating, yeah. instead of pulling everything apart, trying to integrate things together. So, so again, you know, both sides have their strengths and weaknesses, and the real uh, magic, I think, is is trying to hold both of those things together simultaneously, and I think that's what you do, and again, why I was so impressed and why I came to study with you, um, is that, you know, taking the atomistic pieces and then putting them back into a holistic context, I think, uh, allows us to get uh, the most from both of them. So if we can take a detour for just one second, Donnie. Um, you know, both of us, I think, indep- independently, I know you were the first person that I ran into that talked about them. So there used to be a system of medicine or a, a, a practitioners that called themselves the eclectics uh, that almost no one has heard about. Um, could you, in a, a couple of minutes, just tell us a little bit about that long, you know, forgotten yeah. school of medicine? I think. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm particularly fond of that system of medicine. You know, back 100 and 150 years ago in our country, we had several forms of medicine. Um, of course, there was still the AMA, conventional medicine. Mm-hmm. There was three systems of herbal medicine and there was homeopathy. So mm-hmm. within the three systems of herbal medicine mm-hmm. was crude kind of folkloric medicine called Thompsonianism. Mm-hmm. Then from Thompsonianism bore two other systems that had a lot of similarities. One was physiomedicalism and the other was eclectic medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, the physiomedicalist, uh, I think, developed a little bit more sophistication in their um, the uh, uh, ability to articulate uh, a model. Okay. So they they actually there's a book called Priest and Priest that I think every practitioner should read. It's Mm. an introduction and an overview of physical uh, physio medicine. Mm -hmm. Very good book and Mm -hmm. very insightful. And Mm -hmm. uh, you'll see that it even has um, some uh, of the uh, Eastern traditions overlapped into it. You know, when I think of hot, cold, expansive, contraction. You see a lot of the dynamics of the interplay of the two, you know, opposing forces, basically, and, and understanding that. The eclectics didn't quite get as defined as a as a model as a whole, mm-hmm. but their their, uh, their their whole premise was to prove the truth, to 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 uh, build like traditional medicine, Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, mm-hmm. was this concept of the, the vital force or the life force, that our medicine has got to co- collaborate and work to support the innate healing force within our body. So mm-hmm. that's that's the standing point. Mm-hmm. And the ethics were excellent at understanding the materia medica. And they were called eclectics because they weren't bound to a, a single system of medicine. Right. The, the word eclectic they used because they would use a lot of different kinds of medicine from different schools of thought. And the, the premise was that whatever is going to get the patient well, yes. we're interested in. Yes. And um, they referred to the AMA as the regulars. 
and they were spiritually driven. They were uh, had they were heart driven, mm-hmm. and their materia medicas were phenomenal. Whether it be King, Ellingwood, Lloyd, Felter, mm-hmm. and my big favorite Eli Jones, who wrote a great book on cancer in 1908. So, mm-hmm. in I learned a lot about the specifics in what I would call the personality of plants mm. and how they relate to the um, presentation of the patient mm-hmm. because they really learn how that plant acts on organ systems, acts on different parts of the body. So they, um, they were, uh, they, I think there were like 30 schools that taught eclectic medicine at one time in this country mm-hmm. by the late 19, 19- there weren't any schools left. The AMA kind of squashed um, them out at some point, unfortunately. But yeah. we still have access to their books, and I strongly do encourage people to study uh, the the eclectics. They were um, great, great physicians. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll, I'll say I don't know if the situation has changed. I know there was some issue. Google, uh, a number of years ago, was digitizing tons of old books, and it was possible. I know I found many of the the titles uh, that Donnie's talking about, you know, were available free on the Internet, essentially, for download because the books were, were old and, you know, there was no pa- um, copyright on them and various things. And so they were available um, and uh, again, I can speak to there's a lot of wisdom. The, the conventional system right now wants to believe that it's at the pinnacle, um, that it's, you know, sifted, sorted and taken all the good stuff, uh, if you will, out of traditional medicine and anything that's left that's not used is just like you said, voodoo or um, or substandard medicine, basically. Right. Um, and this uh, focus on the new and the sexy and the shiny, as we like to, I like to call it, sort of the glitzy, glamoury stuff or the, you know, the newest uh, medicine. And, and again, there's great breakthroughs and everything. But, but as you said, I call it kind of the unsexy medicine, but the, the basics, the foundations, the, the general uh, treatments uh, in many ways are, are so much more important. And, and, you know. and even though like like some class of drugs, like mm-hmm. in particularly, I've had phenomenal results combining my medicine with uh, checkpoint inhibitors mm-hmm. uh, that mm-hmm. uh, target the program death receptor, PD, PD-1, PD-L1 inhibitors, particularly mm-hmm. K-Truda-1. Mm-hmm. But overall, with the the amount of new drugs that have been coming out over the past few years, mm-hmm. I got to tell you that they've been predominantly a complete disappointment hmm. whether they be braf inhibitors and and uh, i mean literally these drugs are demonstrating getting approved and demonstrating to improve survival by four six eight weeks sometimes hmm. um and that's even questionable when you go back and study their literature so right so there are exceptions there are been some really good breakthroughs in certain circumstances but it's it's really mostly been an incredible disappointment for the for the most part. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we go- I think that the the BT the BTK inhibitors mm-hmm. in the CLL realm have been, um, I think, mostly you know been good. And there's a new class of drugs, uh, BCL2 inhibitors, um, Ventoclax. That's going to actually, I think, show some promise as well. Mm-hmm. But overall, when I, you know, I can go through all these drugs that have been approved in the past two, three, four years, and sure. boom, they're not doing much for anybody. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, let me ask you, Donnie. I mean, I've certainly you've been around in this field a lot longer than I have. And in my years, I've certainly seen a lot of change, uh, mostly coming from the public. Right. Uh, years ago, when I would say what I did, uh, you know, you'd get a, I'd get a lot of funny stares and looks and and some people are interested. A lot of people weren't. And now when we talk about, you know, if we're at a dinner party or <laughs> something like that, and you talk about what you do, there's often a lot of interest and I'm finding um, a lot of changes are happening mm -hmm. in terms of what people are receptive to. Um, you've been around, you know, 30 odd years here, you were saying, how have things changed mm -hmm. over that time period? I think, I think, um, mixed. Yeah. I think there's been, I think there's been some, well, let's just put it this way. We're, I'm, I do the majority of my speaking now in mainstream institutions. Mm. So that probably wouldn't have been the case back then. Yeah. We're working, our foundation is working on the front of doing several clinical trials. We've been working for five years with Ohio State um, on a trial with breast cancer. Mm. It looks like we've made some headway getting approval through all these boards and a complex model approach has not been easy. It's kind of a pioneers on, on, paving the path on how to do a clinical trial because clinical trials to date have all been set up to re to be reductionistic to right. remove every variable and study one thing and right. so and and so it's been difficult getting them to embrace um, the, a complex model such as us uh, such that that we do here mm -hmm. but we've been at it for five years and we've made a lot of progress. And recently, I think that there's a good chance this year we'll actually get the trial off the ground, mm. breast cancer trial. Mm -hmm. We're working on a trial with the Children's Hospital of Orange County, mm. um, with Huntington Hospital down in Pasadena. Mm -hmm. I'm in conversations and have been uh, spoke at um, Sinai Hospital in Baltimore to the oncology department. Mm. I spent a week at, um, in Israel at Bellinson Hospital in Tel Aviv, a whole hmm. week there, yeah. uh, training the integrative staff there, hmm. lecturing to the oncologists there. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we're, I think there's a little bit of headway, but it's happening really slowly. Um, yeah. Frustrating. It's frustrating to me to tell you the truth, how slow things move in these institutions. Mm -hmm. And then as far as our education go, I'll just tell you, I, I mean, I have 30 plus students coming in April for uh, another level, an, another level two training, but uh -huh. we're moving in the way that we're about to develop a, a an academy that will be partly online. Right. That's going to be a two year course with a third year possibly for just oncology. So mm. there'll be two years of 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 ETMS teaching or Madiri medicine that mm -hmm. will be divided up into population wellness into chronic medicine, chronic care for chronic disease, to acute medicine for acute ailments, yeah. and then a special area just for oncology that will be a whole year onto itself because nice. it's, it's um, so we're working, you know, we're raising, trying to raise some money to, the, you know, to build this school and to do these, uh, these uh, research projects. But um, I feel like this year there's been some really encouraging things happening nice. for sure. Nice. Well, I'm glad to hear that at least in theory, uh, more and more conventional people are willing to to listen to your work because, um, mm -hmm. again, there there's all the base that can be done, frankly, without um, the oncologist on board. But but 
Um, mm-hmm. A big chunk of it really needs uh, their assistance. And I, again, I remember from our training, we were talking about one specific case and a patient was having to fly across the country to see an oncologist who was open and receptive to the work that, that needed to happen for that person. Um, and I mean, again, just so much of what we see every day, you know, we get contacted all the time. Uh, what you do sounds great. Is there anyone local to me who can do that kind of work? And and sometimes we're lucky enough to say, absolutely, you should go see this person or that person. Um, but a lot of times, unfortunately, it's the I'm sorry. Unfortunately, there isn't someone local to you who can do the work that you yeah. need. So um, so getting people familiar with these different approaches and then training practitioners who, who are capable of doing it, I think is, is a critical part of, of the mission of changing healthcare as it's received in this country today, for sure. So, all right, Donnie, well, it's been a pleasure. There's so much more I could ask you and so much more time that we could spend Um, before we leave, you know, the, the, the wrap up message that I would like people to take away at least is that, you know, um, that again, conventional medicine, chemotherapy, radiation surgeries are not bad in and of themselves, right? There is a lot of value, but it's how those tools are used. They can be used just like any tool can be used very elegantly to do fantastic work and they can be used um, in ways that cause tremendous harm and damage uh, to, to situations and people. And secondly, is that you know, your oncologist, for the most part, is going to be exclusively focused on the treatment of the cancer, um, just as we see with many other diseases, to the almost the exclusion of the rest of the human being that's there in front of the person um, as well. And that truly effective care not only has to target, as Donnie was saying, the, the specifics of the disease process of what's going on for that individual, but the entire rest of the individual as well. And so, uh, you know, so for people to take away, don't don't neglect all of those other aspects. And and to me, put all your eggs in one basket of saying, well, this round of chemo or this specific treatment, whatever it may be, that that's the thing that's going to help. But that um, caring for the entire person up to and including the disease specifics is what's going to give people the best quality of life for the longest time possible. Is that fair, Donnie? That's fair, and it's it's not. It, it, it I would add to that. Uh-huh. Um, timing of things is very important too. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's that, for example, surgery. What I call the timing of surgery is mm-hmm. often done as an upfront therapy, and I'm a big believer in what, what is referred to as neoadjunctive therapy. And that doesn't just mean chemotherapy. That could be anything from things that we do for patients. So in, mm-hmm. in other words, instead of doing as your first course of treatment, which is still standard of care for most cancers, not all cancers anymore, anymore but for most, to right. go and remove the tumor, remove that. And mm-hmm. most patients also believe just get it out of me kind of mentality and I'll be fine. Sure. Maybe I shouldn't do chemotherapy, but just do the surgery when in actuality, that's it's the opposite sometimes because systemic therapy is the most important. Mm. That includes our toolboxes, every toolbox. And the reason why, again, it, it comes down to common sense, cancer is a systemic disease. Mm-hmm. Treat it systemically first. Mm-hmm. Reason number one, you want to do it. Number two, um, Treating a tr- treating the tumor with effective systemic therapy is going to show visible changes. In other words, if what we're doing, whatever it is, is effective, 
the tumor is going to respond by shrinking. Mm. Mm. If we're doing something more aggressive, then we want to see significant shrinkage of that tumor. Makes sense. Then we know what we're doing systemically is working, whereas if you remove that and you go on a big chemo regime post-surgery, you really don't know whether you got benefit or not. Ah. If you do a post-surgery, you'll know because the tumor after a month will be in half the size. Right. Third benefit. Third benefit is now possibly your surgery will be less invasive, which is always a good thing. Right. What might have needed to be a more debulking, bigger surgery might require now a very small surgery. Right. So those are three reasons. Mm -hmm. And to know that surgery by itself is pro-cancerous. It's it's pro-angiogenic. It's pro-inflammatory. It sets up the environment conducive to cancer growth. So that doesn't mean it's not an effective tool. It just knows, you know, why you're doing it and mm -hmm. when you're doing it. Mm -hmm. so you do, and that's why I said it's 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 almost better in most cases, when possible, mm -hmm. to do a building up to the surgery with a good plan in in mind. Uh, that is, um, uh, again, it, it's referred to as neoadjunctive therapy. Now, whether you would do that for six weeks, eight weeks, or twelve weeks, somewhere in that range is is makes sense. So, sure, sure. And the timing of things, as much as what you're doing. And how much you're doing of something, you know, like, like I said, very often people are, might be taking drugs that are good for them, at, but they can't tolerate it because it's too toxic. So mm. they abandon ship and they go to another drug that's less effective. Okay. And that can be just with maintenance drugs, too. It can be, you know, class of drugs used in breast cancer, aromatase inhibitors. Mm -hmm. More than 70% of the time, patients are taking dosaging that, that's higher than what they need hmm. and often causing them severe uh, side effects. Right, right, right. So definitely, yeah. because the drug approved as a specific dosage according to the clinical trial, again, the oncologist can't say, well, maybe take less of that drug because now he's diverting from what the research had, had said, he or she. Right. And that, well, in actuality, the truth is that the drug has a long half life and it's, and now the toxicity is more problematic. And the patient doesn't want to take the drug anymore. So now the doctor gives them a different drug that really the best treatment would have been that same drug at half the dosage. Yeah. So it's, it's what we're doing, when we're doing it, and how much we're doing of that. That's all those things uh, play a role. Absolutely. Well, all right. Yeah. So, Donnie, if someone wants yep. to reach out to you or your organization, right, either if they if they themselves have cancer or family or loved one, they're looking um, at, at getting care, or if they're a clinician, they're listening to this, they're thinking like I did, wow, this is definitely a step up from what I'm seeing out there. Um, how can they reach out to you? What's the best way to get more information? Well, they, they uh, let's see, there's a few different ways. For one, there is, I have a, a blog um, web website, which is just my name, D-O-N-N-I-E-Y-A-N-C-E, DonnieYance.com. And I just posted today a whole big post on zinc, the importance of zinc. Mm -hmm. And so that's a great way to kind of gain access into who I am. And it's, mm -hmm. I have blogs on, on nutrition, on botanical medicine, dietary medicine, recipes, nice. theology. Mm -hmm. So it's, mm -hmm. it's my one outreach to the what I call the lay community. Everything right. else I'm doing is in the professional world. Right. We have our foundation, which is Madiri, the Madiri Foundation, M-E-D-E-R-I, foundation.org. Mm -hmm. The clinic that I work under 
is under the auspices of the foundation. Mm -hmm. And then I have a product line that I've developed called Natura Health Products. Yep. And then lastly, a great thing is I have my book, um, Adaptogens and Medical Herbalism, which yep. is elite herbs and natural compounds for mastering stress, chronic disease, and aging. So yep. those are all good ways to kind of, um, and then I'm a musician too, so I have a couple of websites uh, as a bass player and two bands that I play into. But you can, through my through my personal blog page, you can you can pretty much get everything from that one page. Awesome. So we'll link to all that, Donnie, if there's anything else you'd yeah. like. You just send us that, Wonderful. and we'll be happy to link to it as well. I can speak highly for the book Adaptogens. I think it's yeah. a great resource for everybody yeah. out there. Um, a really wonderful class of herbs. Again, um, to your point earlier, you know, we know specifically what some of them do. We know that many of them act in very, again, general ways to improve, you know, well-being and yeah. resilience. So the easiest ways I, I, I call two, two things that to refer to understand adaptogens. Mm -hmm. um, one is referred to the three ends, which means that they're nonspecific. Mm -hmm. So they'll help you in, in ways that you need it, whether it be a cardiovascular benefit, whether it, it, it altering a set point to come down a little bit or go up a little bit. Mm -hmm. So they're nonspecific. They're normalizing and they're what they do. They normalize the body, mm -hmm. bring it back into, you know, allostatic uh, balance mm -hmm. um, or hormesis, as they call it, you know, where there's always going to be variations in our being, but we keep them in a, in a more tightly uh, contained, um, level mm -hmm. and then non-toxic. Mm -hmm. And then I also add in the four R's, which means that they're, they're going to increase our response because everything about understanding is first and foremost, how well we respond mm -hmm. to, or, or recognize, I should say, recognize first. So you have mm -hmm. to recognize something's not right. Sure. Then you have to respond mm -hmm. to that. Mm -hmm. And you have to recover from that response, and mm. then you have to rejuvenate or resuscitate the body after that. So mm -hmm. they're going to improve all of those R's. They're going to increase the four life requirements, which are better energy, better protection, better adaptation, and better reproduction. Mm. So they actually help with with mm -hmm. with uh, with that as well. Yeah. I was, and lastly, they have yeah. the, they have an a, a anabolic component to them. So we're going to maximize our ability to use proteins, sugars, oxygen, and fats more efficiently. Yeah. And that's probably my favorite word for adaptogens and plant medicines is building better efficiency in our body. Mm. That's really what they're doing. Mm. How do we get ourselves to be more efficient on every every way? Yeah. So that's yeah. the in a nutshell, that's adaptogens. <laughs> Wonderful class of plants, and there's many, many, many of them. The, one of the yeah. other benefits, right? And um, yeah. many places on Earth have their own adaptogens, which is also yeah, fantastic. Nature is provided, so it's not um, that you have to, you know, so, again, kind of the, the infatuation with the, with the new and the shiny, you know, some magical herb that grows in mm -hmm. the Amazon or in the top of a mountain yeah. or something. But yet uh, so many of us have so many wonderful herbal, uh, you know, herbs and, and compounds, um, local to us. And, and one of the tragedies is, is how much of that, that local knowledge, um, was, was destroyed and lost as well. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Donnie. Well, it's been lovely well, chatting you. with you. You are obviously a, 
a wealth of, of information. Um, if anybody wants to reach out, we'll have all the links uh, so we can put there. And I'm excited to hear uh, that two things that you are um, reaching more into the mainstream because we need mainstream oncology to sort of catch up to this more nuanced and advanced way of, of looking um, at the situation because right now the statistics are pretty grim uh, for just cancer in general that so many of us, it's a disease that so many of us are going to be facing um, in our lifetimes. And so we need effective and, and uh, yeah, just effect. We need effective treatment uh, uh, for that cancer. And then, secondly, to hear uh, that um, you're, you know, looking at expanding um, your your teaching and your outreach there is very exciting because I would uh, I'd love to see what you've got coming in store. All right. Thank you. Well, uh, it was my pleasure to be on, and I enjoyed it thoroughly. So, thank you anytime. All right. Thanks so much, Donnie. All right. Bye bye. All right, folks, that wraps up another episode of the Aspire Natural Health podcast. If you enjoyed it, we hope you've subscribed to us over at iTunes. You can also check us out at our website, www.aspirenaturalhealth.com. That's Aspire as in A-S-P-I-R-E, naturalhealth.com. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash aspirenaturalhealth or check out our library of videos over at YouTube. Just go over to YouTube and punch in Aspire Natural Health. You'll find us there. So a couple great more ways you can check out our free educational materials. At Aspire Natural Health, we are experts at treating gut dysfunctions, autoimmune diseases, and other hard-to-treat cases. If you that's you or someone you know, you can always contact us and schedule a free 15-minute consult with myself and find out if we are the right fit and we can help you out with your issues. So simply check us out, check out our website. Again, that's www.aspirenaturalhealth.com or give us a call at 425-202. 7849. You can set up that free 15-minute consult. All right, folks, until we meet again, take care.